Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With episode 212 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back. Once again, it is the middle of the week. You know what that means. We are here to talk all things NXT and AEW throughout the show. We will break down the debut of what WWE is calling, the Silver King will not be calling past this mention, uh, NXT 2.0. We will also discuss everything that happened this past Friday on AEW Rampage and, of course, Wednesday night on AEW Dynamite. So the show will be broken up into two parts, one on NXT, one on AEW, as always, and we will uh, explain how that will work later in the show. Off the top here, folks, I am just thrilled to be bringing you another edition of your favorite wrestling podcast. Like I said, it is episode 212, and you guys know, over the past few shows, I've kind of been looking at our numbers, right? Just doing a little evaluation and noting, hey, we're, we're having some of our most popular episodes ever. And what I can officially tell you as we start today's show is inside the last two weeks, we've had three of our four most popular episodes of all time. SummerSlam, Instant Analysis, maybe last three weeks. SummerSlam, Instant Analysis, uh, CM Punk's debut, and the AEW All Out Instant Analysis are the first, third, and fourth most listened to shows in program history with the WrestleMania Instant Analysis showing up there in that second spot. So it's been a whirlwind in the world of professional wrestling. I appreciate all of you being there with us, with myself, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and vintage Chris Vanini, who will join me later in the show, just not for the opening section of NXT. He will give some thoughts on NXT, but he will be with us to talk about AEW Dynamite as well. Before we get into the meat of this episode, a reminder that getting over So don't waste any time. Go ahead. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Just leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's that's literally the least you can do. Open it up. Click the five stars. You're done. If you want to go a little bit further, leave a written review. Tell people how much you love the show. Tell them why they should listen. Your reviews, your word of mouth. Um, the ratings on every different app. I don't even know if you can do ratings on Google or Spotify or anything. If you can, we're on Spotify. So I know many of you listen to us there. Give us a five-star rating there too. But really, Apple Podcasts is I know where for sure you can give that five-star rating and where it actually matters because we do get bumped up those charts. We want to be one of those top 10, 15 wrestling podcasts in North America And you guys can help us get there by not just the reviews and the ratings, but by sharing the show when we tweet it out, retweet it, tell your friends to listen. I hope that you enjoy getting over to that degree. I think I know you do. So thanks a lot for joining us. And also do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet out every show, but we talk about wrestling all week long. We share our thoughts on the latest news in the world of pro wrestling. Um, you know, we had some stuff to say this week. I can guarantee you that. And of course, we also do live shows on Twitter along with pre and post show polls for pay-per-views. Okay, intro is out of the way. Let's get to the meat of the show. As I said, the way this is going to work, I'm going to talk about NXT up front, uh, especially because it was this very special 
rebrand of NXT. Then we will talk AEW. If you're someone, you only want to listen to NXT, you only want to listen to AEW stuff. Number one, that's unfortunate. But all you have to do, head on over to our episode description. We have timestamps for every section of the show so you can bounce around at your leisure. So with all of that out of the way, we're going to start with NXT. And this week, we're going to break down NXT a little bit differently than I normally do. I'm going to talk about the show in the exact order of how things transpired so I can take you through my thoughts on it as it happened and as I got to see it all for the first time. Now, off the top, as I mentioned, they're calling it NXT 2.0, which would be okay if it's temporary as a marketing gimmick, but it seems to be the permanent name of the show, which is terrible. I will never call it that as it's completely unnecessary. Um, I also saw some people, hey, Adam, isn't it technically NXT 3.0 or 4.0? Okay, yeah, maybe technically, right? But ask anyone involved in marketing or advertising, and you don't go from taking something that doesn't have a number next to it and then immediately go to three or four. You you go in a progression, and 2.0 would, of course, be the next progression. Is it silly? Yes. Is it stupid? Yes. My hope is... Three months from now, once everyone knows it's a new NXT and there's plenty of ratings that come in and they're consistent, that they go, okay, we can drop the 2.0. It's WWE. We never necessarily know, you know, what they are or are not going to do. So as I said, let's get into the show. And like I said, again, we will break it down in order. That way I can give you almost my running train of thoughts as I'm watching the show. So NXT opened with a WWE superstars, the old show back in the day on Saturday mornings, uh, style taped promos from all the competitors in the main event. And it was the same way that Raw began for the tag team turmoil, which I liked. And because it was a big match, I enjoyed that here as well. Braun Breaker, who is Rick Steiner's son, Bronson Rex Steiner, was jumping around excited during LA Knight's promo, wanting a chance to prove himself on this new NXT. So Knight... Despite having a title match scheduled for later in the show, agreed to a fight to open the show. So we got LA Knight versus Braun Breaker. Braun got his uncle, his uncle is Scott Steiner, his father is Rick Steiner, uh, his uncle's siren to start the entrance, which was a really nice touch. His gear was typical Steiner, Steiner Brothers, the singlet with all the multicolors. That was very cool. That was a nice touch as well. This was officially his TV debut. During the match, Vic Joseph rammed in a reference, calling him a dog-faced gremlin, a reference to his father. Uh, Braun got a huge belly-to-belly suplex and then press-slammed Knight into a power slam, which is a pretty cool finisher, for a 1-2-3, clean as a whistle for the win. This was an absolute shock to me, given the fact that Knight was scheduled to be in the title match. Now, I feel like we all assumed when we saw this, okay, Knight lost here, so he's obviously going to win the title because it's a WWE booking trope. And I'm sorry, whoever DM'd this to me, but one of you called this the Rollins corollary when I mentioned to you that this happened to Seth Rollins before. And it's a pretty good point. You know, Rollins at WrestleMania lost that opening match to Randy Orton, only to cash in his money in the bank briefcase and leave the show as the champion. So, you know, it was very interesting the way they did that. Braun was super impressive. He's not ready for prime time by any means, but he had a lot of skill for someone who's just getting started. 
Braun later got dapped up by other rookies backstage after the commercial break. He looked, acted, and wrestled like a Steiner in basically every way, and it was great to start the show. Now, Tristan Atalano at Atalano underscore Tristan, welcome back, man. He says, I don't know why they changed his name after they already announced it. It's a small thing, but why can't WWE leave well enough alone on anything? So what Tristan is referring to, I haven't mentioned yet, is that Bronson like a week ago or a few days ago announced his name on social media as Rex Steiner, which is by far a superior ring name. It's not even close. Okay, it's a great ring name. We don't know why it changed. It could have been a trademark issue. It could have been a family issue. WWE not wanting him to be painted as a Steiner at the start of his career, despite all the surrounding stuff. Maybe it would have been too overwhelming to have him called Steiner with all the other references. Or maybe this guy just liked the name better. And I think what a lot of people don't understand about the names that people get in NXT There's a joke online that it's the NXT name generator because all these independent talents come in with names that are semi-known and then they get these other names that are sometimes very strange, right? And sometimes they're normal, but many times they're very strange. The talent gets to pick their names. Is there input from creative? Absolutely. Does the talent many times give a list of 10 names and creative say, okay, pick from one of these two? Absolutely. It goes both ways. But generally... Talent is not just given a random name and said, that's your name. They have input. Buddy Murphy, for example, a lot of people thought that name was ridiculous. I interviewed Buddy Murphy. He explained that, I forget the exact reasoning, but one of them, one of those names was in reference to an Australian footballer and the other one had other meaning to him. So he chose the name Buddy Murphy when he joined WWE. That is a common thread throughout people that are brought into NXT when they get their names. I don't know why this guy is Braun Breaker. Braun, B-R-O-N, because the guy's name is Bronson, is 100% fine. So there's no problem with that. Breaker with two Ks is extraordinarily weird. It doesn't make a shred of sense why he wouldn't be Braun Steiner or Braun Wrecker, considering his last name is Rex Steiner, right? There's so many other ways to name the guy than Braun Breaker. It really is a terrible ring name. For a guy who, when you looked at this entire show, this entire NXT show, he stood out as that guy could be a main eventer in WWE. Like, it was him. And for him to have a name that bad is truly, yes, it is ridiculous. Uh, So the first match, though, it did give us a chance to take in the aesthetic of NXT. It was very colorful, as expected. It was a little too colorful, especially the entrance screen. It was like they were using an entire color palette, as opposed to picking a few. If they reduced that by half, let's say, I think the overall viewing experience would would be much more enjoyable. It was just too much color. So like there was yellow and purple, blue, green, red, you know, orange. It was all there. Trim it down. Give me a green, a yellow, a purple, and a blue for example, and, and and have that be a general color scheme that you utilize throughout. And maybe you change it up depending on the show, special events, things like that. It was a little bit weird that it was just every color in the rainbow all jammed together on the show. But at the same time that they were using too many colors, there was also too much plainness. 
So the walls that, I mean, they redid the entire performance center to, to create the set. A lot of the walls are just plain white walls with colored lights being shown on them. And I hate to admit it as someone who believes there should be fewer screens in wrestling, but I'd actually prefer more screens or at least fewer obvious lights with more background texture. When you, the, when you saw the fans in the big NXT logo on the hard cam side, that looked really good. And when they turned it around and you saw, um, you know, crowd on the other side, that looked good too. But in every single corner of the arena or of the viewing angles that you could see, it was just plain white walls with lines of lights being shown at the walls. And to think that they spent all this money and redid this entire thing, they built an entrance set that again, it's too colorful, but I actually like it. It's different. It's cylindrical and there's two different parts of it. People walk out from underneath it. It actually looks really damn cool. But for them to do all of that work and, and succeed in many ways in creating a much better set and a much better environment to watch wrestling than the CWC, the Capital Wrestling Center, for there to be those big blank areas was just incredibly strange. It looked cheap in some ways, but not in an NXT developmental cheap, but more like an independent wrestling cheap. Again, not the not the set, really just the the staging of the crowd and, and the, the background. It's really the background more than anything else is what I'm talking about. And I think that's a rare WWE production fail. Now, as far as the camera work, the main cameras seemed to point downward at the ring which was odd, but it was also familiar to me because it felt like I was watching NWA from the way it was shot. Not like even the modern NWA, though I think maybe it's similar, but like old school NWA where the camera was on a platform pointing down at the ring. That's going to take some getting used to. But as the show went on, I think I started liking it and it was just different and a, a unique way to view wrestling, especially WWE wrestling. There was also a camera that was on a crane and WWE used that and they, they moved it around as opposed to doing what they do on Raw and SmackDown, which is all the frequent camera cuts. And I think it maybe moved a little bit too much for my taste, but if I'm using that as opposed to frequent cuts every time someone stomps on someone or hits them, then that's a plus two. So again, those are just initial observations coming out of that first match. So we'll move on. There were a ton of matches on the show. Imperium fought uh, Brooks Jensen and Josh Briggs. Jensen, I think, was making his debut while Briggs, he's worked a lot recently. This was their first tag team match, though, definitely on TV. Uh, Briggs got thrown into the steel steps outside, and Fabian Eichner took Jensen out with an avalanche double underhook suplex for the win. The rookies made some good competition for Imperium. Neither of them was particularly impressive. We've seen a Briggs a lot now. He doesn't really stand out to me. But this felt like classic NXT back in the day on WWE Network, where you have veterans getting work while helping rookies improve in the ring. Again, this is what so many people said they missed about NXT from back in the day. It was literally this. The one-hour show was largely matches like Imperium versus Jensen and Briggs. And then you'd get a main event that was a veteran versus veteran quality match or a veteran versus top-tier up-and-coming guy you know, style of match. So that was all really good. And I did enjoy that. Um, so don't forget if you're going to complain that this is largely what many of you that I'm talking to, but certainly many people on the internet uh, that were complaining that NXT isn't as good as it used to be when it was on WWE Network. 
That's what this was. So just remember that. Uh, B-Fab fought Katrina Cortez in a singles match. Hit Row was in the studio with all the guys cutting promos, supporting her before her debut match on NXT. It was really refreshing, I thought, to see a bunch of guys in a faction focused on building up the woman in the faction as opposed to the woman singing the praises of the men. So that was cool. Uh, The studio was less dark than it used to be, but Hit Row was still the same. They cut the exact same promo they always did. B-Fab won with an inverted cutter neckbreaker. I thought the move was pretty cool. She wasn't that great in the ring, but again, she's green. She will improve. Uh, She started cutting a promo when Legado del Fantasma came out with Electra Lopez leading the charge, and she challenged her. B-Fab wanted to go right away, but Santos Escobar held Lopez back. There was nothing new here other than the in-ring debut. Uh, B-Fab and Lopez seem like the first booking, maybe the women fight, then the men fight again, then maybe they do faction warfare four on four. War Games is coming up in November. I think this would be awesome, a mixed gender War Games match with these two factions that is still two months off. So I don't know how we get there. I don't even know if they're going to do War Games anymore, given NXT is no longer about uh, the metal and the black and gold and all that type of stuff. I hope they still do it. And if they did, it would be really cool uh, if these two teams got that opportunity. Our Carmelo Hayes came out next, and he introduced Trick Williams. Trick is a former South Carolina football player, uh, and he joined Hayes in the ring. Hayes, who has the breakout contract, he got a bunch of face chants. He explained that Trick was there to have his back. Trick then really cut a rookie-level promo, a very green promo, but he did get his point across at the end saying that Carmelo is too humble these days. He fumbled it a bit. I kind of liked that it was rough and not polished. I also really liked that he got to speak like a real person, and he wasn't just repeating canned lines, right? I liked him. He had charisma. Anyway, Hayes seemed to argue at first, but then he agreed with the sentiment that he was being too humble. Uh, They left the ring, and Duke Hudson came out. That's who Carmelo beat in the NXT breakout tournament. He told Melo he got lucky in the semifinals, pushing him aside on the way to the ring. Trick got pissed at that, ran in, booted Hudson's head off with like a discus kick. I've never even seen that move before. I don't know if he like screwed up or if that's a move that he's doing. It was pretty cool. Melo came in, joined in the beatdown, and then he hit a springboard uppercut. I liked the attack. I thought it showed a significant edge to Melo that we haven't seen before. It was a clear, clear heel turn for a guy who is super over as a face. So it's definitely worth arguing and discussing whether that was actually a good decision, considering how much the crowd loves Carmelo Hayes. But it's early in his career. You can easily see a scenario where he and Trick break up somewhere down the line. I did like this a lot, again, despite the rough patches. It just felt real and modern and youthful to me, not contrived, repetitive shit like so many other things in wrestling. And I continue to enjoy that NXT seems to be letting personalities shine through. That flies in the face of a lot of the hot takes that this new NXT was just going to create homogenized big man talents. That's not all we saw on the show. We saw a lot of different people, and I thought that was pretty exciting. Next, we had a women's tag team match. Gigi Dolan and JC Jane versus Caden Carter and Casey Cantanzaro. Holy crap, that is a tongue twister of a tag team match. Uh, Gigi and JC were talking to Mandy Rose backstage. She had her back to the camera and she was wearing a hoodie and they were telling her that she looked better than ever before after whatever makeover. We didn't know about it. Uh, Mandy ran in very early in the match with Casey on the top rope and revealed herself to have basically really dark brown hair and a now menacing look. 
But I do have to say, Mandy looked fantastic. That's the most action I've had all year. So Saray ran down and saved an attack. They ended up setting up a six-woman tag team match. Saray and the KCs against Rose, Dolan, and Jane. This started after the commercial. I thought this six-woman match was set up last week on NXT. So I don't even know why they needed to kind of do that tag team match first. I guess they just wanted to do the Mandy Rose reveal here. But they ran with this anyway. The faces got a lot of offense with Saray and Mandy facing off at one point. Uh, Carter nearly pinned Rose with a huge kick. And the crowd was loving the action. They, they even did a This Is Awesome chant. Carter eventually got distracted by JC Jane. She was hit with a pump knee by Mandy Rose. And the heels got the win. This was a lot of fun. It was a good showcase for some different talent. I didn't mind the tag team two six-woman booking, though it was the most obvious example, one of two obvious examples, of WWE influence on NXT writing. With Triple H not there, he's still recovering from the incident that he had, the health incident. Maybe that's temporary. Maybe if he was in charge, this wouldn't have happened, or other things that happened on the show wouldn't have gone down. Uh, But Mandy going over as the star here was the right call. The heel trio has a lot of potential. They really have like new age absolution vibes and their new name, which wasn't announced on TV, but they got across on social media is toxic attraction, which when you look at those three women uh, and their gimmicks and the the, the dress, the way they look really damn good name for a little mini group. So I was a fan of that. No question. Uh, Ridge Holland fought Drake Maverick in a singles match. So we thought Maverick got called up to Raw, but it appears he's now working both NXT and Raw because his rookie that was introduced to us last week on NXT was still in his corner. Holland squashed Maverick as expected. I didn't really have an issue with this other than, again, it just felt like so many things were happening on this show. This match didn't need to be there. Ridge Holland is established as a badass. The women's match didn't actually need more time. It got plenty of time, but I just would have taken this out and given it to the Imperium match. The main event actually is where it definitely should have gone to the uh, fatal four-way for the NXT championship. It it was just an unnecessary filler that created more entrances and didn't introduce anyone, especially considering Maverick and Holland are both known quantities. So to me, it was just not worthwhile at all to be on the show. Uh, There was... A stereotypical Italian mafia-style guy, he cut a promo while walking on the street saying there was no money in amateur wrestling, which is what he competed in at the University of Buffalo, so he decided to join NXT. The guy's name is Tony D'Angelo. Terrible vignette, terrible gimmick, terrible name. Uh, Straight out of WWE in the early 90s. Here's an Italian mafia guy from Chicago. He's going to wear his hair slicked back and eat Italian beef sandwiches. And I mean, he's going to wear a gold chain and make Sopranos references. Like, you know what's going to come with this. It it was the exact opposite. In every way, I was praising Trick Williams for being unique and different in himself. This felt like the most forced canned shit ever. Don't ever want to see this again. I'm sure we will. Um, Again, there were two or three times where I felt that WWE influence. This is one of those times. We'll get to the other one in a moment. We had the Creed brothers fight Dan, I think, Jarman or Harmon uh, against Tre- and Trevor Skelly. Uh, it's a couple jobbers in a tag team. The Creeds dominated. Again, Julius used the dead body of one jobber to tag in the other who had no desire to get in the ring. 
Julius took a drop kick and then he got really, really pissed and fired up just because he ate a little bit of offense and then just murdered this dude for the win. The Creeds continue to be incredible. Talent and personality plus. Malcolm Bivens grabbed the mic, cut a promo after. He introduced Ivy Nile as the newest member of Diamond Mine in every way that we said we hated Braun Breaker. Ivy Nile is an incredible wrestling name that is absolutely fantastic. Apparently, she is from The Rock's reality show, Titan Games, on NBC. She looked like a total MMA-style badass, like Chris Cyborg-style, for anyone who knows MMA. She was almost a mix of like Jade Cargill and Layla Hirsch, who actually fought each other on Dynamite the next night. It was like they took both of those women, jammed them together, and made Ivy Nile. She was, she didn't do anything. She literally just stood there, and I was incredibly impressed with her. Uh, Kushida returned after his COVID-19 absence. By the way, him and his family, all of them had COVID-19. I'm glad they're all okay. They were vaccinated, but it broke through. Uh, He told Roderick Strong he was ready. Uh, and Bivens made a challenge for the Cruiserweight title next week on NXT. So, you know, we can talk about all these NXT changes, but next week we have Kushida against Roderick Strong in a title match. You know, how different really is NXT going to be, right? If that's the match that we're getting. I'm saying that in a good way, like we're still going to get high quality wrestling. That's really exciting. Uh, It was great to see him back, like I said. NXT then did a bunch of locker room look-ins during the show at the four competitors in the Fatal 4-Way match. And the third time they did it, Kyle O'Reilly was by himself. He got attacked by Pete Dunne and Ridge Holland before a rookie who we weren't sure who he was, you couldn't really tell, came in to save him. This led William Regal to announce that Kyle O'Reilly was no longer cleared to compete in the title match. But the rookie who saved him, Von Wagner, not a terrible name, but not a great name, uh, who is, by the way, Cal Bloom. We've seen him a couple times on NXT. He's the son of Wayne Bloom, a wrestler from back in the day. He got added to the match just because he was the one to save O'Reilly, which made zero sense and was frankly idiotic. Why would he deserve a title match when the guy has barely even wrestled? If you're going to put a rookie in the title match, why not add Braun Breaker, who literally beat a guy in the match in LA Knight earlier in the show. That was just straight up dumb as shit booking. It was the worst thing on the entire show, even though Wagner actually ended up looking pretty good in the match because he was in there with a couple really damn good wrestlers. But this was absolute garbage. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I mean, literally dumb as shit booking. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa later said it had been 908 days since he held Goldie and he was going to get her back before the end of the show. So next up was the NXT championship, which was vacated by Samoa Joe. We discussed last week between Tommaso Ciampa, Pete Dunne, LA Knight and Von Wagner. So the fact that NXT ran this as the penultimate segment and did not put a world title match in the main event over a wedding was infuriating to me at the time. But then when I saw the wedding come, you know, afterward and the setup they did for it, it made it pretty clear that it would have been difficult for them to set that up and take it down and then do the title match. Again, if they had cut some other things out of the show, they could have done that. They could have done the wedding at the 9 p.m. hour 
and then done this, the, the NXT Fatal 4-Way match, as the main event. That's what they should have done. That's how I would have done it. Instead, they didn't. I was offended about, by it initially. By the time the show ended, I was not offended by it at all. However, what I was offended by were the competitors in this match. Champa and Dunn were fine. They deserved it. You know, Champa's a former champion. Dunn, of course, is in that number one contender sphere. All good. Knight already lost on Tuesday night for no reason earlier in the show. If he had lost that match to Breaker, for Breaker to be put in the title match, considering he beat him and he had a case maybe in some, some degree, okay, I could have at least stomached it. And I loved that Knight did the job for for the other guy. Don't get me wrong. But now you have Knight in this match and his number one contendership credentials are downgraded because he lost to a rookie less than two hours earlier. And then you have Rag Wagner, an actual rookie, I think making his debut or having one of his first two or three matches in an NXT championship match. They just completely downgraded the quality of the match unnecessarily through booking and nothing else. All booking decisions, bad booking decisions. That was the most startling WWE influence on the entire show. It's just mind-numbing when you think about that. Anyway, Wagner got thrown into the steps outside. Champa went on his clothesline party run. Knight hit the, hit the BFT on Dunn, but Wagner broke the fall. Knight then hit the BFT on Wagner, but Champa caught him with Willow's Bell, only for Dunn to break the fall. Champa then flew out of the ring with a tope corkscrew. He never does moves like that. That was cool. Dunn hit the bitter end, but Knight threw Dunn out of the ring. Wagner hit Knight with an Olympic slam, and I thought that was it. I was ready to lose my mind, uh, but he only got a 2.9 count. Again, it almost broke me. If that was the end of the match, it would have killed me. Um, Knight actually got busted open a hard way. Uh, Champa and Dunn then took out Wagner together. They brawled with each other. Dunn hit an assisted German suplex, but Knight jumped to catch him on the ropes for a superplex. Wagner then caught him with a double underhook bomb, again, thinking that was going to be the finish of the match. I was like, oh my God, I was really like anxious. Um, but Champa broke that fall. And then Champa followed with the fairy tale ending and got the one, two, three to become the new NXT champion. Wagner, again, to his credit, he looked really good in the, in the match wrestling wise. And the false finishes with him, again, just being fair, they created a lot of angst and concern for me as a viewer. So they did swerve me and I wouldn't be surprised if WWE maybe did that on purpose a little bit. Champa winning on top of all of that was an unexpected finish. I totally thought it was going to be night or done, but it was fantastic given that Champa is NXT. So it kind of shows maybe they're not straying too far away from the NXT we like, even though things are going to be different. Maybe this was also the booking considering Samoa Joe vacated the title and they wanted it to remain on a veteran. Either way, Goldie came home to Champa. The match was fun. It was too short for a world title match, especially a fatal four-way. But because it was short, it led to nonstop action and no down moments. So I went 3.5 stars in a B. Again, this is a match if it had happened as originally scheduled, if it had happened in the main event on an old school NXT, you're talking probably a four or 4.25 star match given the talent involved. But this was about 3.5 stars. It should have been given more time. There should have been less other things that happened on the show. And then lastly, the main event, the Index Wedding. Uh, Johnny Gargano was backstage with all the groomsmen. They were wearing Dexter Loomis's black gloves. 
when there was a knock on the door. It was Austin Theory who admitted he ran away, but also said, hey, I'm back. And like they made nothing of it. Uh, he brought Damian Priest in to be the, quote, priest for the wedding. Gargano had to explain the theory that Priest isn't actually a priest. And Priest said, yeah, he lied. He was just there for the open bar. Hysterical stuff. Uh, theory tried to give Gargano the high five, but Gargano instead hugged him. It was just a great backstage segment. It was a really good way to kind of lead into, um, you know, a, a wedding that we were all really excited for anyway. Later, Candice LeRae uh, insisted that a bridesmaid remove a skull cap before the wedding. There was also an incredible 80s or 90s style video package recapping the entire storyline, which kind of made me rethink my criticism about it being the main event. They really put a lot of effort into this. And as I told you, I'm giving you my thoughts in order as we went down the show. So I was concerned about the wedding being last, and then it really made all the sense in the world for the wedding to be last. Uh, Johnny walked Indy down the aisle. The ring was filled with both faces and heels. Loomis's middle name was revealed to be Gaylord, which I'm assuming was a joke, you know, hearkening back to like Meet the Fockers and stuff like that. Uh, Gargano hesitated, giving her away at first. Austin Theory was supposed to have the rings, uh, but he couldn't find them. And it turned out they were in Ikamanjiro's jacket. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, when the officiant asked if anyone had an objection, Everyone there raised their hands until Loomis opened his jacket to show a hatchet that was sewn into the the, in, the lining of the jacket and everyone put their hands down. Indy's vows were about seeing him differently than everyone else. She called him a freak and revealed that Loomis actually snuck into her room one time, which made Gargano really upset. So they kept teasing different ways to break up this wedding. Loomis's vows were a simple thumbs up. The officiant then questioned how he could have nothing to say to the woman he loves. So Loomis just grabbed him and put him to sleep with silence. Everyone tried to get Regal to be the new officiant. He declined while seated next to the zombie ref from the House of Horrors match. Just really funny shit. Uh, so suddenly Beth Phoenix jumps up from commentary to reveal that she got ordained online and was there to do the ceremony. There was an interruption that Odyssey Jones stopped. Uh, it was just one thing after another leading you to believe that this wedding would not happen. Indy said, I do. Loomis finally spoke for the first time. The crowd did a great job hushing itself to ensure that the room was quiet. So if he was going to speak, that people could hear it. He said, I do. Everyone popped when he said it. They kissed. Everyone popped when they kissed. In the end, the wedding swerve, it wasn't Austin Theory. It wasn't Johnny Gargano. It wasn't anyone else. The swerve was that there was no swerve. We should have expected this given the teases last week of them talking about wrestling weddings always failing. Grizzled young veterans, when they walked down the aisle uh, before the commercial break, before the segment, they made comments like that as well. So they really did kind of give it away, but it was still exceptionally well done, even if there were a few too many elements to the entire thing. From the comedy bits to the video package to the absurdness of it all, it was pure sports entertainment variety. It's exactly what you want from something like a wrestling wedding. It also gave me hope for the future of the way and the continued booking of NXT. You can tell, by the way, that Candice LeRae is showing now from her pregnancy. Apparently, uh, there was a report that came out after NXT. She plans to still be involved in a TV role as long as she can be until, I guess, she, the pregnancy becomes kind of too much. Um, so that's great that we're still going to see her. The way is still going to be a thing. They could have used this to end the way, especially with Austin Theory doing dark matches on Raw and SmackDown. This could have been it. Instead, it's not. And that was really exciting. 
And then right before the show went off the air, Champa was shown watching the wedding backstage. When Braun Breaker approached him, Champa offered a handshake. Braun hesitated, looked at the title, and then decided to shake his hand as the show faded to black. If the idea of this was to elevate Braun as a guy to watch, that's fantastic. If this kid's going to get a title match inside like a week or a month or something, then it's ridiculous. And of course, it would be even worse if he actually won the title. But if this was just a, hey, I'm coming for that sooner or later type of booking, then that works really great. And certainly Champa is the right person to kind of, if, if there's going to be someone in NXT who's going to be that Undertaker role to like anoint the next guy, anoint the John Cena, Champa would be that guy to like give him, to dap him up, say good job. And like, I have my eye on you type of deal. So how do we wrap up this entire show? Okay, let's take a look at all of the elements separately. Uh, staging an arena setup, I'll give it a B. It was a huge improvement from the claustrophobic CWC. But like I said, tons of room for improvement, too much white space, and the color use is extreme. That can be toned down. Booking of the show, I'll say a B minus. Most of the show was perfectly fine. But the bad stuff that I mentioned earlier was really bad. If Champa didn't win, like if LA Knight or God forbid Von Wagner won the title, and if the wedding sucked, this would have been a C minus or maybe even worse. Um, but those that didn't happen. We had a couple good matches on the show. Champa won the title. The wedding was really good. Braun Breaker, hate the name, looked amazing. Uh, so that was cool. New talent. Uh, I'll give that a C plus. Judging only people we saw for the first or second time, obviously Braun was incredibly impressive besides his name. The Creed brothers are incredible. Trick Williams showed a lot of charisma, but he's completely green. Von Wagner seems to have some in-ring talent, but I'm not sure about the gimmick and the look and all that type of stuff. And then Tony D'Angelo, just for me, some of you may agree. You may like the shticky type of stuff. Um, I like shticky stuff like 2.0, Everrise. I, do, I don't like it when it's stereotypical to this degree. For me, it's a no on Tony D'Angelo, at least as far as the gimmick goes. Uh, and then lastly, is this better? Was this NXT 2.0 better than the black and gold NXT? It's impossible to say. Elements of it were better. Elements of it were worse. The crowd in the seating area were definitely better. The fact that it's no longer dark, that's a plus. It does feel like a completely different show. Too much happened in two hours this week, so that does need to be trimmed back. But I'll definitely need at least a month or so, maybe two months, to fully evaluate and tell you whether this new direction is better, whether it's actually that new other than using a little bit of talent. One thing that's crystal clear, despite Champa winning the title and despite the wedding, is that it's definitely a brand new NXT. The question is going to be when Triple H comes back, because look, it's just a confluence of events. There's a new NXT and the guy also wasn't there because he had a legitimate illness. Um, so when, or medical issue, not really an illness, but I guess similar. Uh, when the guy does come back and he maybe takes the reins of the booking and creative a little bit more, maybe it shifts back a little bit. So we get the new elements, but we also get the old NXT that we know and love. All of these things, we're just going to have to evaluate down the line. But what I will say is the death of NXT was massively exaggerated because there was plenty on this show that was good and plenty of it that gets me excited to tune in You know, the following week. It was up 120,000 um, viewers. You know, We don't really talk about ratings on here, but it was up 120,000 viewers from the last live edition 
of NXT. And it was up 170,000 viewers from last week's NXT, which was very low rated. And I don't even know why so few people watched last week, which was a very good show. So again, that's what we know about NXT for now. We will evaluate it in the future. And that's basically the best way for me to wrap it up. So Chris, we kind of already went over what I thought. Uh, What did you think of the only time I will call it NXT (laughs) 2.0? Yeah, I mean, I'm not somebody who watches NXT every week. I do watch the takeovers, but I wanted to tune in for this and I wanted to see what the new set and everything looked like. And I think you're right. It was it was a lot. It was probably a bit overloaded in terms of emphasizing the change. But overall, I, I really like it. I like I love seeing the fans again. That that was my biggest issue with the Capital Wrestling Center setup was that obviously after pandemic, after they brought fans in, it was so dark, you couldn't see the fans. And that's something a lot of like basketball arenas are doing now that I also don't like. I like seeing the fans in the background and you can really clearly see them all now for this, which I think is a good setup. And yeah, it does kind of feel like old NWA with the camera angle coming down a bit and you can see the feet of the people behind the ring. Like there's not like a barricade up there. So it it, it feels very, very intimate in that sense. And and so I I like that. Um, I love Rex Steiner, AKA Braun Breaker. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible name. Terrible name for a guy who has all the potential in the world. Yes. Dude, he looks awesome. Yeah. And even at the end of that, when him, him just staring down Champa, like, this is a guy who feels completely comfortable in what he's doing. Like you could 100% believe that he could take that title off of him and, and is ready to. So I'm really excited for him. I just really don't like this name. And it kind of made me think like you look at the people end up uh, WWE has lost, you know, Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, CM Punk. A lot of these guys are going to AEW with their generally their names and so i'm wondering if wwe is going to lean back into that old nxt thing of change everybody's names because we have to have the intellectual property rights to the character so i, well, I mean wwe him. historically has always created names i mean yes but but there was the whole nxt name generator era you know that that type of thing and yeah that, so i, I did, I did felt like. so because you weren't listening like to the part of that of the show that i was recording i actually discussed that already okay it's actually and i'm just clarifying for you really briefly. It's actually a little bit of a fallacy. Most of the talent chooses their names. Um, There are circumstances, I'm sure, where WWE will pick between one or the other, but they do get significant input when they're in NXT on what their names are. And usually it's things that mean stuff to them. Uh, Like, for example, Ruby Riot, she chose Ruby. uh, And I think she chose Riot, but they couldn't get it trademarked. So they added a T at the end of it, right? So like Mm -hmm. things like that happen. so, so that's, I think what happened here where, I mean, the guy's name's Bronson. So Braun is totally fine. B-R-O-N. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. B-R-A-U-N like Strowman. Uh, but the guy's last name is Rex Steiner. So why not Braun Wrecker? And that's not even a good name, but it's well, at I, least closer to his real name. You know what I mean? I, I just wish they'd lean into the Steiner part of it. Well, too. sure. We all do. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and like he so much looks like his dad and his uncle. And I, I know they got the sirens for the, for the intro. So I'm super high on him. It's a dumb name. Maybe we'll get used to it. We've gotten used to a lot of dumb names that they've had before. I don't know. I don't know the story behind picking that name, but Braun Steiner. I, I, I don't know. I, I think you could have done something cooler, but he is awesome. I'm really looking forward to him. And and y- you didn't like having a rookie in the main event. 
But I think what that was and what a lot of the show was, was they're really leaning into like, this is going to be different. We're going to be giving you a lot of new guys, new people. And so, yeah, it was a title match. The guy didn't deserve to be in a title. match. Yeah, I know. But he also wasn't going to win it. And it was more just about sending a message of just like, this is really a new era. We're going to throw new people in all the time. This is really about developing new people. You and may like, you may love Kyle O'Reilly, but that's not really what the point of NXT 2.0. And that's okay. 4.0 is. And that's okay, but it still has to make booking sense. And it didn't really make sense. It was very, very stupid. So for me, it just, it didn't work. Uh, one other thing, because we do want to get to AEW, Austin Theory, right as I was finishing my breakdown of NXT, he tweeted, the way helped me get to that next level as a performer, I can't thank the people I was surrounded by enough. If you got lost in reality with what we gave you, then we did our job. Heart emoji. Now on to the next level. Two hands out emoji. Also, Papa John, thank you. Uh, you know, like a high five emoji. So apparently Austin Theory is suggesting he is on his way to the main roster. As I mentioned earlier in the show, he was doing dark matches on Raw and SmackDown has been. I thought him coming back to NXT was him going back with the way but it seems like Dexter Loomis may now be that replacement in the family. So I'm actually really disappointed to see him leave because the way with theory, he was such a big part of why it was successful. He's going back to the main roster. He was out on the main roster. Uh, you know, he was, the, I think he wrestled at WrestleMania, right? Or, or the raw after WrestleMania, something like that. Yeah. He was there. Well, I think he was on, I think he was on mania. I think he was on like the kickoff show for mania or something in a tag team match. Um, but so obviously He's been there before, so he's coming back. Uh, you know, I think he's still super, super young. I think he is ready for the main roster, absolutely. And they do need fresh talent up there, so all of that's good. But I just loved the way, and I loved him in the way. So it is a little strange for me to see him go. Um, but congrats to him, you know, certainly if he's excited. And hopefully he gets treated like a big deal because he is one of those guys who is the future main eventer of WWE. The question is, are they going to build him and treat him the right way to get there? He's one of those guys where you say, okay, maybe we don't need Bray Wyatt because we have a guy like Austin Theory in the future, you know? Um, so hopefully he gets treated that way and he's got a long career ahead of him. So we will certainly he, he, see what happens. He and Angel Garza lost to the Street Profits uh, in a Raw Tag Team Championship match at WrestleMania 36. Yeah, they were. that was crazy. I mean... That, that, that whole pandemic Zelina. WrestleMania was nuts. Yeah, was it was part of the Zelina Vegas group at the time. Right, and then he joined her. Yeah, it was a whole thing. And then he got uh, excommunicated, then he was with Seth Rollins. Yeah, it was a whole deal. Okay, a lot of NXT talk today, longer than we normally go, but obviously the rebranding deserved it. Let's move on and talk AEW, Dynamite, and Rampage. Now, the way I've decided to do this going forward is for storylines that interact with each other uh, from Rampage to Dynamite, we're going to talk about it all in a single grouping. I also did not know initially that Chris was going to be joining me on today's show. So took a few more notes than normal. Chris, you're just going to have to deal with that. And you can uh, talk on the back end about everything. I will do. Uh, so I'm going to start with the main event of AEW Rampage, which was Andrade El Idolo against Pac, uh, just because that was on its own as a solo moment. Everything else kind of fit together with things that happened on Dynamite. So Andrade uh, hit a ridiculous springboard twisting plancha outside. He only got a one count. Then he had a split-legged moonsault off the ropes before Pac countered into a hurricanrana. Pac then delivered an awesome moonsault for the top rope outside. Andrade grabbed the ropes to break the fall. He had a perfect springboard 450. There were some really cool counters. 
the puck, got a crucifix bomb for a near fall, and then locked Andrade in the brutalizer. There were some distractions at ringside. Chavo Guerrero hit Pac on the back with an iPad, and Andrade fell on top of him, like rolling up kind of a little bit for the one, two, three. Andrade then found out after that that Chavo had cheated, and he hit Chavo. The Lucha Brothers threw him into the ring so Pac could lock him in the brutalizer to kind of end the segment. On Dynamite, Andrade then cut a taped promo about being the kingpin and never asking Chavo to interfere. At first, it seemed like Chavo was just like away for a bit. And then Excalibur on commentary said Andrade, quote, sent Chavo packing. So this was an exceptional match with a pretty unfortunate finish that really took it down a notch. The post-match of Andrade being angry at Chavo for not letting him win clean, that was great. And it somewhat made up for it. But it was again disappointing just to not see a clear resolution given how good the wrestling was. I assume that this is all leading to AEW bringing in Ric Flair as Andrade's fourth manager in four months. I gave the match four stars and an A minus despite all that, but the booking of Andrade, it really has not been good. No, this was a great match, but that finish was, that was a WWE style finish. Very, yeah. I I, I mean, for all all the complaints about it, it, like to give Andrade the cheating win, but you don't want him to take heat for cheating, so he's going to be honorable and blaming it on his manager. I just, it was, it was a very, very weird mess. He's yeah. They have not booked him all since he showed up. It's been a complete mess. They, I don't know if they didn't have a plan or the plans changed or what, but it has been um, a mess. He, he, he's not any, he does not look any better in AW than he did in WWE. I know the triple A stuff's a bit different, but uh, yeah, it's been a strange couple of months with him. He has a much longer leash in terms of in ring. He looks better in ring than he did in sure, WWE. Sure, sure, sure. But he was always good in WWE in ring. That wasn't the problem. It was the gimmick and everything, the push and all that type of stuff. At least he's being used and we're seeing him. And that's good. But yeah, it's the packaging is not good. And the same thing happened to Miro when he started. Miro has improved drastically, yes. but it took a long time. It really did for them to figure out what to do with Miro. Uh, Brian Danielson came out on Dynamite to talk, but quickly got interrupted by Kenny Omega, who also wore a plain white shirt this time and Don Callis. It was basically Callis ranting at Brian for being a hypocrite, hippie millionaire. Brian said someday he'll go after the AEW title, but right now he just wants to know who's better. So he challenged Omega one-on-one. Callis screamed no, as Brian said Omega lost his balls if he won't fight him. Omega finally accepted, and they stared at each other uh, in the ring as fans chanted AEW. This was easily, in my opinion, the hottest part of Dynamite. Uh, giving us Omega and Danielson right off the bat is really serving the fans well. It's going to be the main event, I assume, of the Arthur Ashe show, which is appropriate and it should tear the house down. They better get like 25 to 30 minutes at a minimum for this. It'll be funny because uh, I know it's going to come when Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson gets a five-star match in his very first AEW match <laughs> after never being given one during his entire WWE career, despite wrestling in many five-star matches. In WWE. So that we know it's coming. I'm prefacing it. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, but I'm very excited for Omega Danielson. It should be an absolute banger next week. Yes, I, I love what Brian has done since showing up. He's not he's it's weird. It's like him and CM Punk are reversed. CM Punk's coming in here. I'm just happy to be here. I love the talent. And Dan O'Brien's coming in here like I want to kick some ass. And this 
I, I'm glad he called out Omega the way he did, because I have said on here before that I'm not in love with this version of the Omega character, the kind of Weasley heel who's in a big faction. I love the elite, but it just it hasn't been best bout machine Kenny Omega. And that's exactly what what Brian Danielson called out. So I like that the elite wasn't there. I like that it was just Omega and Callus and that eventually just Omega. That makes everything feel bigger and more important. So this was great. Fans love it. Match is going to be incredible. I cannot wait for it. So this was really well done all around. It was. I think it was the best top to bottom thing uh, maybe on the entire show. It was just really, really good. Uh, CM Punk opened Dynamite with his entrance at the very beginning of the show, and he joined the commentary team, and they promised he would be on commentary for two hours, the whole show. Uh, It was nice to get Punk in the role. It it was unnecessary to have a four-man booth. I actually thought Punk was going to be there because I assumed Excalibur was still out. I believe he was on his honeymoon last week or something like that. Um, So I was just surprised they did this, but regardless, an hour into the show, Taz and Hook stepped up to him, and they basically did a distraction so Powerhouse Hobbs could attack him from behind and take Punk out. Hook put him in the Dragon Sleeper for a second and then cleared the announce table so Hobbs could choke slam Punk onto it. I say onto it because he choke slammed him onto it and then it fell over. And you're like, well, why didn't that table crack? And it makes sense. It turns out the table was made of Lucite. So rather than a breakaway table, AEW again, when it came to a prop, didn't like think well enough to use a table that would give a little bit for a 40 however year old guy who hasn't taken a lot of bumps recently. So I just thought that was really strange. Uh, Look, I have a feeling that this was super hot in the arena, but you could not hear that on TV. It just sounded like no one really cared what was happening. Again, I don't believe that was the case. I'm just saying how it sounded. It was kind of a weak attack to take down someone of Punk's caliber. It's also a real downgrade for this guy to go from Darby Allen and Sting to Team Taz it did get the job done to continue the feud. He was good on commentary for the first 60 or 75 minutes. As I said last week, as long as this Team Taz feud is short, I'm okay with it. But almost every Team Taz feud has been like a WWE feud. Non-stop. Two, three, four months. This one cannot be that. Beat Hobbs, come back a week or two, beat Starks, move on. Well, I mean, it goes back to what I said. It's CM Punk wanting to just work with new young faces and 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 that's what we're getting i i think you know you can like add in a little bit of story to just say dan o'brien you know, was in wrestlemania this year he can step up against kenny omega and even if it's out of the title like we're cool with it punk hasn't wrestled in seven years he needs to work his way back that they need to add that part of the story rather than just like i'm happy to be here and work with new people type of stuff i i think there's a long-term story you can tell with punk about getting back to where he used to be um love that they started the show off with punk you know we we were not happy was last week or two weeks ago when they opened with um the the uh the malachi black match coming out of all out we were like no give us the big stars at the beginning of the show that's what they did here to have punk do the entrance jump into the crowd and then go over to commentary that's a good hot way to start the show leading into what was an adam cole match so really like that um yeah gimmick the table <laughs> i mean g- 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 give him a break there also it's weird that the, the camera cut at the time like hobbs lifts him up and you see it but then they cut the camera behind and you don't even see punk hit the table obviously the table didn't break maybe that was why but that was a little bit weird to not see the moment of impact which is kind of the whole point of the, the segment so uh but 
overall, you know, I thought it was a better use of punk than, than maybe you did, but um, I just think you can add a little bit more to punk's like long-term story here rather than just, he's just doing these one-off things. Oh, don't get me wrong. I actually thought it was a good use of punk to get him on commentary, have him do the entrance to be on commentary because fans are buying tickets now. And this is a big market, New Jersey, because they want to see CM Punk in and Brian Danielson and the yes. AEW stars. So all of that was good. It's just the team Taz storyline. It seems like, I don't know. It's like a crutch almost. And team Taz without Hobbs, I mean, sorry, without cage, Brian cage, it's a shell of itself. It just is. Yeah. I'm really not into it anymore. So I, I do. I do love, you know, obviously everybody on West wrestling Twitter loves hook. Uh, Taz's son. Uh, he is in the graphic for Hobbs versus Punk. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> he's wearing gear. So uh, I, I saw some. I saw a Hook gang sign in the crowd too. So I'm loving. I'm loving the Hook memes. Uh, so let's keep going. Over on Rampage, Adam Cole cut a taped promo saying he trusts the elite with his life and would wipe the floor with Brian Danielson. Then Danielson did a taped promo uh, on Kenny Omega, but he said he's willing to fight him anyone else if uh, Omega doesn't stand up to him. On Dynamite, uh, Adam Cole and Frankie Kazarian was the opening match immediately after CM Punk made his entrance. Uh, Cole tried to pay homage, I think, to HBK with a super kick like stomping in the corner, but Kazarian countered it into a German suplex. Kazarian countered Panama Sunrise into an inverted Alabama slam and hit a springboard leg drop for a near fall. Cole hit a Yushigoroshi and the Panama Sunrise followed by the last shot for the one, two, three. Cole then challenged Christian Cage and Jurassic Express to a six-man tag against him and the Young Bucks at Rampage next week. A few segments later, the faces accepted, and Christian just decided to shit on WWE, saying the Bucks threw Cole a lifeline out of developmental, and since he was so used to losing on Wednesdays, now he'll learn to lose on Fridays also. Man, we like went like six good weeks without a lot of this shit, but leave it to Christian to bring it back. Uh, back to the match, it was a strong match. Cole got all his signatures in. It is a little bit disappointing to me that Kazarian seems to just be a patsy for every member of the elite. Like he's supposed I'm, to be the elite hunter, but he yes. doesn't beat anyone and he doesn't succeed. And he's just like an extra dude to play a role against them alongside whoever it is. John Moxley, uh, Eddie Kingston, Jungle Boy, you know, now, uh, you know, potentially Daniel Bryan in the near future, something like that. Uh, that's disappointing. This was 3.5 stars and a B. Uh, it was good. It had some slow points, but that's my take on this entire thing. So number of things here, the Christian promo, the, the saying throw a lifeline to pull you out of developmental to me, that wasn't a shot at WWE. That was a shot at Adam Cole and the idea that he wasn't at the main roster. Um, but the Wednesday night war stuff was a shot at WWE. And I'm trying to remember was Christian even on AEW when they were going ahead ahead on Wednesdays? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> okay, that, no. That was, I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't think he was actually part of that. But anyway, got a cheap pop out of fans online and stuff like that. So it is what it is. Um, Cole coming out. He's not. So he does. He still does the boom on his entrance, but he's not. It's a weird thing to talk about, but he's not timing it up with the music. Because the music goes, it's all about the boom. And that you figured that's when you would do the thumb point. But he's not. He's waiting until after that. And it's a little bit weird. And the, the crowd is doing it, though, when he does the thumb point. So that's good. I like it. It's it's a cool thing. Um, it's just I feel like there's a moment in the song. to. I'm, I'm big on wrestling entrances. You guys know that. Know this. I just feel like he could time that up better. Um, I liked seeing him 
uh, just like Kenny Omega, I liked seeing him away from the elite and cutting a promo on his own, making him feel like a big deal and not just part of a group. So that was good because he, he, he is a different kind of promo than the other guys in the elite. Even Kenny, you know, Kenny, the Bucks, those guys, there's always a, a bit of like, you, you, you can tell it's kind of a gimmicky promo, like, you know, especially with like Matt Jackson, when he tries to do a heel promo, you buy along with it, but you don't really feel it. You feel it with Adam Cole. He He's very, very good at getting that intensity across on the mic. So that was really good. And then Kazarian. And when that match ended, all I could think about was if this was WWE and someone who just came into the company and beat someone who helped found the company, there'd be a bit of an uproar for that. I, I, cause Kazarian's been with this company since day one. They were the part of the first tag team champions. Uh, and yeah, he's been pretty much a patsy right now and he's just getting fed to guys who show up in the company. And I think, uh, I think he should, uh, be treated a little bit better. In that well, yeah, for me, it's not even the, it's not even the treatment, right? Cause he's, I think he, I think he's, uh, maybe not an EVP, but he's an employee of AEW. So he has other roles besides being a wrestler. For me, it's just a booking aspect. It's yeah. It's you have Scorpio Sky in a new tag team where we thought the whole point of them breaking up was for him to go single. Instead, he's in a new tag team. He's currently in a feud with Chris Jericho that just kind of came out of nowhere. We'll talk about that in a moment. You have Christopher Daniels, who's basically retired from in-ring competition. And then you have Frankie Kazarian, who they're putting in a storyline with the biggest faction in the entire company, except he's a total loser. He, he accomplishes nothing. He sometimes saves people, but never gets over on them. So it's like, he's a terrible hunter. <laughs> like the whole point of hunting is to kill, right? And yeah. he's, if he's hunting the elite, he ain't killing them. He sucks. Like, like, like remember when Stone Cold Steve Austin hunted DX and he, and he laid traps for them around just around the arena and caught them? Like that's exactly what the elite hunter Yes, do. like he should at he least should have, be, He should have an episode where he gets over on everybody through stuff well, like that. And if, and if not everybody, at least some of them, uh, the good brothers, uh, Nakaz, I almost called him uh, Nakamura. Nakazawa, Nakazawa. Um, you know Brandon Cutler, one of a single, mm-hmm. one of the young bucks, right? Like something like the Adam Cole, maybe not in this match, but like in a backstage situation, or he costs him a title, or or you know something yeah. like that happens. Instead, he's just like a dude who they use as a utility player when needed against the elite, and he's really a good wrestler. So it's just a little bit disappointing. Let's we got cool. a lot more to talk about. Let's keep yep. going here. Um, AEW turned their, I'm just going to call it shoddy. And straight up terrible booking of Minoru Suzuki last week. They turned it into a storyline, which is what they do so often whenever they even receive a little bit of criticism. Uh, the storyline is that Suzuki was offended uh, that his entrance music wasn't played. That wasn't the problem. But I mean, it was one of the problems, but it wasn't the problem last week. Lance Archer, who is a member of Suzuki Goon over in New Japan, challenged Moxley and Kingston to a tag team match at the Queen Show. So it looks like Kingston Miro, which we thought would be a rematch, isn't going to happen at that event. And we also thought we'd get a tag team title change potentially with Santana and Ortiz. They weren't even on the show and there's no way they're even close to the title picture. Um, So that's not going to happen. So two potential really big pops we thought we'd get with title changes at the Queen show either were never going to be reality or they were canceled in a plans change scenario. We don't know the answer to that, of course. Uh, But we got John Moxley and Eddie Kingston against 2.0 in the main event of Dynamite. Um, Mox and Kingston beat them in just a couple minutes with an assisted double underhook suplex. Uh, Suzuki's Kazni Nar, his music played, and he came out and brawled Mox at ringside as Kingston and Archer fought into the crowd. 
Mox stopped Suzuki from pile driving him through a table uh, with a microphone to the face. And then AEW kind of signed off as they were all still brawling. I thought all of this was fine. I'd love to say that I was excited for this coming up next week. Um, at least as excited as I was about their original match. This just didn't get me there. I'm really not excited. The Suzuki I wanted was against Moxley one-on-one. That was a failure. I do think the tag team match is going to be good. All four of these guys are really good wrestlers. uh, And certainly three of them have experience with each other. But I'm just not as excited as I was previously. I do think them doing the match in Queens in front of that crowd, though, it's going to get a fantastic reaction. Yes. And... and you know, Dynamite and Rampage are going to be two hours, so theoretically they're going to give a lot of time to everything on the yeah, show. Yeah, it should get plenty of time. Yeah, yeah um, the Suzuki thing was... I, I'm fine with doing a rematch. I, I think it was kind of a weird way to get there to kind of play into this Suzuki incident where if you weren't following on Twitter, you didn't exactly know what they were talking about. And there's clearly a lot of people who are familiar with Suzuki and Suzuki and... Um, uh, uh, the, the tag team Suzuki, I'm not. That's okay. I, I I could tell through the crowd that it was a big deal that they're together. And so that's fine. But yeah, I, I was expecting something else with Eddie Kingston. And, and that's that's fine. With Moxley, let me say this. I have not been a fan of the Wild Thing entrance, but it is growing on me. I still think his previous theme was better and it fit him. But I can't deny that the crowd singing along for Wild Thing every time he comes out is absolutely huge. And I actually found myself kind of humming the song after the show. So it's definitely growing on me uh, for his entrance. The brawl at the end was a little bit strange because it was so much of throwing somebody into a barricade. But those like metal fence barricades don't quite work like WWE padded barricades because you can throw someone hard into a padded barricade Mm -hmm. and they smack against it. This one, you got to like be careful because otherwise you're going to throw people into the crowd if you hit them too hard. So it's like everybody's trying not to hit each other too hard, which is a complete opposite of the storyline. So it was kind of a strange ending. I I wish I also wish Shivani and Jim Ross were a little bit more frantic and going off the air. They were just kind of like talking casually (laughs) as this is going on. They're just like, all right, show's over, guys. See you later. It was all a little bit odd, the whole the whole bit. Yeah, I did find all of that odd as well. It um, in general, you know, I like when they when there's brawls outside and they involve the crowd and all that type of stuff. But you kind of want to see like devastation, you know, when that happens. We didn't really see that here. And we actually didn't see it in another segment that we'll talk about where they brawled into the crowd. So they did this twice in one show. Well, and there was a table and they almost had a pile driver onto a table, but then didn't do it. Right. They didn't do it, which probably is good you know, for John Moxley. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was just a little bit kind of, I don't know, disappointing in that regard. Like, I know people want everyone to be 100 percent positive when they talk about AEW, but they're just like with anything else. There's a lot of flaws in some of the stuff they do. And especially when it comes to like production things, uh, AEW makes a lot of mistakes that really kind of sometimes take me out of the product. And it's production. It's, it's how segments end. Little mm-hmm. tiny things like that, that the only way they're ever going to get better is if they hear criticism or, or you know, the only way we're going to keep ourselves honest when we talk about AEW or WWE or NXT or whatever is when we talk about the good, we talk about what we didn't like as well. And there's a lot of things, little things that I didn't really like uh, about Dynamite. Although I did think top to bottom, it was a good show on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on. MJF caught a promo. Uh, he got a lot of cheap heat by insulting New Jersey. The crowd chanted STFU. You know, the words, not the phrase. 
Uh, and MJF tried to talk to Brian Pillman Sr., first looking to the sky and then to the floor, <laughs> insinuating that he's in hell. <laughs> he threw out more insults about Pillman and his son when Jr. tried to attack him from behind with a chair. Wardlow grabbed the chair, but Pillman slapped him. And then he avoided an attack by getting the chair back and threatening them. I really like MJF. Like, I really, really like MJF. I really, really did not like this promo or segment. It got a ton of heat. Don't get me wrong, okay? But there was none of his normal intelligence and creativity. It was like an ECW promo. It was just like, this guy's mom's a meth head and he's in hell and you suck and New Jersey sucks. Like it was the most blatant heel promo that I can remember MJF cutting without having the smart lines and the the stuff that makes him a cool heel that you love to boo. I didn't love to boo him in this regard. So I did think that was a little bit of a miss. I I disagree he, he the, obviously the last two weeks he's really leaned into that cheap heat stuff um if if that becomes the case every week i think it'll get old to everybody um but i'm okay with it for these last couple as it's kind of tying into the pillman feud i mean the the, the whole feud is kind of essentially built on the cheap heat that that's kind of the whole basis for it so i get leaning into it and like it's called cheap heat but there's a reason it's always been done like it, it, it works like the crowd absolutely hates him he has legitimate heat with crowds that you just don't get elsewhere like people boo the elite out of respect mjf just he is i cannot wait for the moment he becomes champion at some point or re- eventually reaches that top because he is going to be an absolute star in this industry and he he, he does it by being such a different kind of heel than you get on this show we'll get to you know uh, lambert's promo later in the show mjf is just always off doing his own thing there's so many factions so many things tied into the elite and everything he's just off doing his own thing all the time and he does a really good job of it i understand why leaning so heavily into this cheap heat will get old um but at least for the moment i think it's okay uh, after this, after that entire segment, Jim Ross had a pre-taped sit-down interview with Pillman Jr., where he was basically talking to him like an advisor and not a journalist. Pillman actually cut a pretty damn good promo on MJF, but the entire segment should have happened before MJF yes. came out, yes. not yes. after yes. he came out. It didn't yes. make a shred of sense why they did it that way. Yes, uh, I completely. And this is this is the production thing where they kind of this happened a couple weeks ago where they did a Jericho MJF like segment, and then like later in the show we got two video packages. It was weird. Like, yeah, this should have been done before build up Ryan Pillman. Then MJF comes out and attacks him. And you're like, I want to see Pillman beat the crap out of him. And right. That's what happens. It was just so weird. And then on rampage, Pillman fought Max Caster. Both guys cut really bad promos. I thought with Mark Henry, the match was okay. Not really much to it. Pillman hit a springboard flying clothesline, honoring his father uh, for the win. It was a nice moment. I think for the hometown kid, but nothing else beyond that. The acclaimed attacked after the match. John Moxley made the save to give the crowd something to cheer about with the Cincinnati boys kind of teaming up in the end. I thought the post-match with him and Moxley was better than the match itself. Yes, I, I agree with that. And it, it, I mean, it, it was still cool. I, I, I like seeing, I, I like Pillman. I, I, I think there's a lot to do there. It makes sense to lean into the Cincinnati bit and all that. Send the fans home happy. Even if you're not from Cincinnati, you can't help but just kind of be happy with how that 
how that show ended. So it, it worked for me. And then uh, let's go back to Dynamite. Uh, Malachi Black called out Rosario Dawson, who was <laughs> in the crowd wearing a Nightmare Family hoodie. She's a judge with Cody Rhodes on that. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's a really bad reality show. Uh, reality game it's like, show. Type. It's like a talent show, right? Yeah, the Go Big show. Yeah, Go, yeah, go, yeah, big, go show. big Show. Yep. Um, then Cody appeared at the top of the stairs in the crowd wearing a red suit. And I couldn't get past this. I'm sorry. He's an EVP. Every time he reveals himself, right? Like in a shocking situation to like help someone or whatever, he comes from backstage wearing a headset. Why was this guy standing in the concourse in a red suit? It, it, it made no sense. I mean, the suit color doesn't matter. But why was he standing in the crowd? It didn't make a shred of sense. I thought it was a terrible like return for Cody. He comes down. Rosario jumps on Black's back. He dumps her off. And then Cody brawls with him into the crowd for a few minutes. Then right as they're about to go into the concourse, we're like, in WWE at least, that's where shit gets exciting, right? There's a table and you get, get thrown in. There's food or a merchandise stand, whatever. Right as they're about to do something interesting, they cut it off and go to commercial. Um, look, we knew that this was happening, right? My hope is next week when we get Malachi Black against Cody in the Queen show, it's not the same as when Cody came back and all of a sudden beat Brody Lee. Rest in peace. Um, the hope is that Malachi Black kicks his ass again. I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll find out. I'll judge that next week. This was not good. I just didn't like it at all. Cody is so Triple H in so many ways. Like to, to, to get celebrities involved, to be the conquering hero, to save somebody, even though they kind of help run the show. <laughs> it's just like everything he does. Like, it, I don't think he, he doesn't hate on WWE like other people does, but obviously he felt restricted there. But everything he does is sports entertainment. I, I, I mean, obviously he's not the guy saying I want to do wrestling like Dana Bryan and CM Punk, but that's straight up sports entertainment. The Snoop Dogg thing. Snoop Dogg's also a judge on the show. Uh, the wrestling match with Shaq. Now randomly saving Rosario Dawson. Um, this was really, really goofy. Um, and I'm happy Cody's back, though, because I love Cody. I, he is he, he is one of my favorite people in AEW because I think, he again, he kind of gets the sports entertainment aspect of it, and you need a little bit of that in the wrestling part of it. So I agree. I hope he and Malachi Black fight and Malachi Black kicks his ass again. I, I don't want Cody to go over here, and if he does, it's going to be even more of a Triple H situation. But, um, yeah, this whole thing was just goofy. I will say, just because you mentioned all those other celebrity types of things, um, the Shaq match was shockingly good. No, right? it was. But, totally. but but then again, just like with everything else, they put him in an ambulance and then they open <laughs> oh, the doors yeah, and he disappears like he's like he's I magic. I forgot about that. I forgot about so, that. So like, again, it was a situation where like something, they did something really, really good and, and just couldn't get out of their own way. So, I mean, we talk about WWE's unforced errors. AEW makes unforced errors too. They're totally different. Totally different and way less severe than WWE's, but they happen consistently. We're talking about them right now. Uh, okay, let's keep going. On Dynamite, Dan Lambert, the men of the year, and four MMA folks. I know Junior Dos Santos and Paige Van Zandt were in there along with like a really big up and coming women's fighter. I'm not a big MMA fan, guys. Sorry. That's, that's like the extent of my knowledge. Um, they were all in the ring. Lambert cut another promo on AEW being shitty when Chris Jericho's music hit and he came out with Jake Hager. Lambert said some shit about Jericho who answered back with a casually homophobic joke um, yep. about being on top and things like that. 
Uh, I couldn't really believe that he did that. Um, mm-hmm. Jericho put over Hager's MMA credentials, which are basically non-existent. I mean, the guy's undefeated, yes, but he's fought tomato cans. Uh, before mentioning how he's gotten into shoot incidents with a beast and someone named Bill. So he's referring to Brock Lesnar and Goldberg backstage incidents back in uh, WWE and WCW, respectively, uh, without naming them. Um, Lambert made a challenge for the Queen show. It's basically going to be Jericho and Hager against the men of the year with probably MMA fighters at ringside, I think is going to be the gimmick. Lambert on his own was really good at the beginning. He's become massively grating. However, having him go back and forth with Jericho was a huge improvement because they were able to actually scrap verbally with one another. So the booking now makes some sense. It's a smart move for AEW to try to get some crossover sports appeal, I guess. But between Lambert over the last couple of weeks being really grating, Jericho making that joke, I'm not a sensitive dude, okay? Um, I don't try to make big deals out of nothing. I don't think this is the end of the world. But was it a casually homophobic joke? Yeah. Did it happen on a show where there was a lot of cursing? We can talk about that later. It did. Uh, was it the best look for AEW? No, it wasn't. I think the feud is better off because Jericho's involved. If he just didn't do that, it probably would have been a much more enjoyable segment. Yeah, no need to make comments like that. And we're, we really are past that, I think, as, as a society. This isn't the late 90s and stuff anymore. Yeah, if that, Which, if that was Attitude Era WWE, it flies. It was also, kind of, uh, yeah. it, it was, it was also not only a different product, a different time, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we've, we've, grown, we've grown past this. With, with, with Lambert, it, it's very hit and miss in some of his comments. I, I think when he made the comment about everybody wearing a men's small and a women's XL, <laughs> like that, that was actually kind of that was kind of just funny in terms of what he was going for. Very kind of MJF, though, in, in the same type of promo in terms of attacking the fans. My problem is this is not at all about the men of the year. Like it, it took Jericho mentioning Ethan yes. Page and Scorpio Sky. Dan Lambert is not putting them over. He's just attacking the fans. If people want to see him get up, he is completely overshadowing Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, which is a problem. He should be trying to put them over. We should be getting segments of those two training with American Top Team and down in Florida. Like, like this, I, I get the Lambert and MMA aspect and wanting to bring some of these people in for this stuff, but it's not, you're not rubbing it off. There, there's not a rub here for the men of the year. They're just in the background. And We'll see what happens at, at the other show. But yeah, I, I love Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, and I feel like they should be getting a lot more out of this. And it's not. It's just about Lambert. It's all about Lambert. I agree. And I thought at first we might see some MMA people fighting because Lambert did this in TNA mm-hmm. um, with American Top Team, and they had MMA fighters fight. Um, and I think I could be mixing storylines because I never really watched TNA, but like D'Angelo Williams fought there may have been involved in this or may have been separate. I don't really remember. But they found avenues and ways to do that. And maybe that'll be part two of this, right? Maybe after the match or during the match, Dos Santos gets involved and then he ends up fighting Jericho down the line. Like, I don't necessarily know. What I do know is it's very repetitive. Uh, you want to talk about rematches on Raw all the time? Dan Lambert with a couple MMA people cutting a shitty promo. It's extremely repetitive. I'm really done with it. I actually hope it ends at the Queen Show. Like, yep. there is benefit to bringing in MMA talent to AEW and crossover sports appeal and all that type of stuff. It doesn't seem like they're doing that. And even at this point, even if they did do it, I don't even know that I want it given the way this has gone. So I'm just kind of done with it. Uh, Staying with Dynamite, 
FTR fought Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. The faces had a really cool double springboard splash on the outside. Martin was again impressive with his athleticism. He nearly beat Cash Wheeler with a couple of pinning combinations. Rick Knox is such a bad referee that there were actually two covers simultaneously, which is not possible because only one set of people are legal. And he like looked at both of them. He wasn't sure which one to count. You count the ones who are legal, Rick. Um, to, to be to be fair, that that happens quite a bit in tag team wrestling. Not where it, the referee does not where number one, the wrestlers both try to make covers simultaneously when it's not a tornado match or when it's not a fatal four way match or something like that. And number two, not where the referee doesn't know which one to count. Uh, that, that was that was a problem. The, the, the legal pin happened first and he wait because he had to wait. For but he like looked and he like looked right, and saw because right, he had to wait for the second pin to happen before he started counting. That that was a problem. And, and why are those other wrestlers even doing that? This is FTR. This isn't like. The young bucks; these are people who care about tag yeah, team wrestling. But, but but how 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 often do we see two two tag teams in a submission and 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 they're both waiting and they tap out at the same time? Yes, that does yeah, that does happen. Yes, but only but the referee knows which one of those to count. No, I know that, right. You're you're, you're and you're, the you're other right. submission and the other submission is taking the teammate away from factoring into the fall from stopping it. There's reasons for that. I'm sorry, I hate Rick Knox. I just do. He's a terrible <laughs> no, referee. No, yeah, He's a terrible wrong, referee. Right. These teams are you're great. Right. All four wrestlers in this match, Dante Martin, Matt Seidel, Cash Wheeler, Dax Harwood, they were all great. It was a great match. I loved it. The yeah. referee sucks, period. Yes. Um, yeah. Eventually, FTR hit the big rig for the appropriate win. It was a really fun, short match. I actually wish it went a little bit longer, but for Martin and Seidel, who have never teamed before, to team and, and work that well together, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I guess uh, the other, I don't know what's up with the other Seidel brother, if he just wasn't in this or hurt or anything, but I guess we'll see if he comes back. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, well, let's talk Darby, Allen, and Sting. We'll start with Rampage, go to Dynamite. Uh, they were in the ring on Rampage. Darby called Sean Spears a generic piece of shit, which I thought was an incredible line. I love that. <laughs> uh, Sting then called out Tully Blanchard, who showed up and distracted him as Spears hit Darby outside of the ring with the Death Valley driver. I think he calls it a C4. Um, at ringside, but didn't really get any reaction from the crowd. I was really surprised by that. Then on Dynamite, we got the match, Darby against Spears. There's a really smart spot where Spears grabbed some steel steps and kneed Darby's head into them, but then Darby like avoided it and Spears put his knee into the steps. Darby hit a code red and flung Spears into the steel steps outside where he was like sitting on them. He did like a tope, knocked him off those, brought him back in the ring, hit a coffin drop to Spears' back for the one, two, three. Half of the match happened during commercial, the part we saw was really good. After the match, FTR attacked Darby and Sting. Sting completely no-sold the chair shot from Tully. Let's be honest. If Tully hit me with a chair, I'd probably no-sell it too. Guy can't be that strong these days. Then he got bludgeoned by the three of them, and he got finished with a pile driver. Spears wiped Darby's makeup off earlier, I think during their match with a towel, and Tully did the same to Sting. So as long as Sting and Tully don't wind up fighting each other one-on-one, <laughs> which I think was the indication two weeks ago or last week, I'm down for this feud. I like all these teams interacting. FTR against uh, Darby Allen and Sting, I think would make for a really interesting and fun tag team match. A lot of old school wrestling, especially with Sting and FTR being able to work together. That could be cool. This was a good attack. Wiping off the face paint was a nice storyline element. Uh, I just enjoyed really this entire thing. Yeah, I'm a general fan of Sean Spears. I think the general AEW crowd isn't. Nothing he really does ever gets any reaction, but you know, outside of the crowd reaction, I I liked what he did. It was it was a bit um, 
you know, brutal and, and, and edgy bit. And there's a lot of intensity to it. So, yeah, I, I, I like this whole thing. Well, I, I guess maybe we'll get a tag. It'll be a little bit weird maybe to see Sting and Tully. But um, I guess Tully was in a six man, right? Before, during the pandemic or something I like think that. So I he was, we, yes. I think he un, was. It yes. wouldn't be unprecedented, but um, yeah, this is fine. It's a mid-level, low-level feud for whatever it is. So it's fine. Alrighty, let's keep going here. Um, on Rampage, we had Ruby Soho, Rio, and Chris Statlander against Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, and Rebel in a six-woman tag team match. There was good action in this after the commercial break. Uh, Statlander had a fantastic run, but got taken out with double knees from Baker. Then Ruby hit Rebel with a Pele kick as Rio splashed Hater outside for the win. With Statlander back and Ruby joining AEW, the talent in the women's division has taken a big step up. But again, with AEW, it's actually about giving the women time. And on that note, I want to go to Dynamite and then we can talk about all the women. We had Jade Cargill against Layla Hirsch on Dynamite. So it now seems AEW is putting women's matches after 9 p.m., like once the time turns, instead of 9.30, which they're using to do a big angle to lead into the main event. I guess they noticed they were seeing a drop-off because the women's matches were always in that spot. And again, AEW hasn't really told its fans that the women are important. This one, to its credit, only got a single picture-in-picture commercial, not the double break. Hirsch got a lot of offense, including an armbar, German suplex, and tope suicida, along with a pump knee for a near fall. But she missed a moonsault, ate a boot, and then took the glam slam which AEW hasn't named. I criticize NXT all the time for not naming finishers. Name this move. It can't be that hard, Um, but it's the glam slam for the win. This was only a five-minute match. I didn't necessarily mind the length in this case because Cargill doesn't need to be in long matches. However, Layla Hirsch is established as a good wrestler, so in theory, it should have gone longer. My bigger problem was this was the only time we saw women the entire show outside of like a 10 second backstage promo. No Britt Baker, no Ruby Soho, no Chris Statlander, nothing else. So that's what we got from women's wrestling. Again, the divisions improved. Hirsch, all the others I mentioned earlier, Cargill obviously is flashing. But if the talent is better, it doesn't matter, Chris, if you don't get to see them on television. No, and and generally you only see it if you're watching Dark or, or Dark Elevation. I, I love Jay Cargill. I, I think she's great and she's improving and, and, and whatnot. I, I don't know how much, how long you expect a match between Cargill and hers. Like you said, I think it kind of fit in this context, but yeah, to not see anybody else. I mean, you know, we sometimes criticize that there's so many backstage promos, but you got to have some appearances by, by some of these people. And, you know, I had, um, I had said coming out of all out that you need to have your stars on every, almost every TV episode. And and on this dynamite, we got Brian, we got Omega, Punk, Jericho, Moxley, Sting, Amiro promo. But that, that goes for the women too. You're like, you're going to need to have Britt Baker and or Ruby Soho on every show you have. You, you gotta, it's only going to work if you give these things time. And people can invest in it, not like, oh, I didn't see someone for a week. The women's storylines have been so hard to follow because they would just go like weeks without acknowledgement. And, and that needs to change. All right, let's move on from the women on Dynamite. Fuego de Sol was standing in front of his new Hyundai Sonata, which as a Hyundai Sonata owner uh, looked <laughs> 10 years old alongside <laughs> Sammy Guevara when he randomly challenged Miro to one more TNT title match on Rampage, putting his car on the line seemingly for no reason as collateral. 
this was kind of yawn-inducing to me, unless Miro either kills Fuego with the car, like Zangief in the bonus stage on Street Fighter, or someone else like Sammy or Kingston makes the save to set up a new TNT title feud. Miro accepted the challenge later. I just, again, with Miro, it's like Brody Lee was able to kind of sink his teeth into storylines. Cody had the opportunity to really sink his teeth into storylines. Darby Allen too. He did have some random matches, Darby, but he also had a number that were set up through storyline. With Miro, it just seems like they're like, okay, who can we keep him busy with? And it's really strange when the TNT title is supposed to be pretty important. Tony Khan even says it is not a mid-card title. If it's not, then why is it being treated like a low-card title? I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, like, I love Miro. He, he's awesome. I think the promos are actually pretty good. I just, I want to see more of him and I want to see him in the ring. Like, I thought the TNT title was going to be something that was defended every other week, essentially. It's it's the, it TNT, it, it's the TNT title. Yeah, we, we had gotten it for a little bit. Now it's just, now it's just kind of whatever. And I, I don't think it's diminished because Miro has it, but got to give it something. I, I I mean, maybe they changed, maybe they changed plans and it was going to be Kingston Miro rematch. And now they're having to flip to Fuego. And in that case, why would Miro accept the match? Well, he wouldn't, but Fuego was going to put his car on the line so that that's a reason for Miro to accept it. I also ag- agree. I hope Miro just squashes them again or, 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 or something, but um, yeah, kind of, you just kind of want more from Miro. He's in a good spot. He's a champion. He's, he's, He's the character you want. Yes. It's just, we got, we got to get, you just, you want to get some stories with him. I want a storyline with him and Kingston seems to be one and I'm sure they're going to yeah. continue it after Queens. But, but now that they've finally given, like they almost did the storyline. They created the storyline during their first match, right? So now that they've mm-hmm. done that, that's great, but they got to follow that up. At least let's follow that up. And, and I don't know if that leads to a title change or not, but something's got to give. Um, Let's go through the 30-second tape promos. The Lucha Bros and Butcher and Blade mentioned that they have a tag team title match on Rampage. Okay. Uh, the Bunny said she'd beat Anna Jay. Then Dark Order argued backstage while Anna was trying to talk and the women walked away, which is what they did last time. Gun Club noted that they are undefeated in all tag team and six-man matches, but didn't exactly explain why they attacked Paul White. It was a good promo by Billy, though. I did like that. Uh, Matt Hardy again stated he's going to shave Orange Cassidy's head. And now he explained it's because he broke his nose. Uh, you know, those are all just really short. I don't have really any takeaways from them. I, I like the gun club promo. I did not know they were undefeated in all those situations. Because all and, those and matches happened on dark. Right. That's why. So, but just, but I'm saying just acknowledging that suddenly makes them feel sure. legitimate. I guess. And, 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 and they have a case to make. And I'm like, all right, you know, like, I agree. We should see them more. And then it, it's not... It, I, the, the gist I got was that they attacked Paul White because they just, they want to be noticed, I guess. Um, I don't know what's next for them, but you know, I enjoy, I I've watched them a couple times on dark and I like watching them. So, I mean, I hope, hope they get something cause they're undefeated and they deserve it. Sure. I'm just saying like, again, as a TV viewer and I don't watch dark cause I, I just, I have too much to do. I just can't do it. Right. As a TV viewer, I know that they were in the crowd for all those dynamites and I know that they've won a couple matches on TV, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad they told me and it was good that this was informative, but it right. also to do this after the attack, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I get that they're trying to explain it through, but when they did the attack in the moment, it's like, why does this matter? Why are they doing it? Yeah, like it, no, you it wasn't impactful. It. That's if what. they had cut that promo a week prior, then yeah. Then Even I, if they had I, cut it, the promo as faces and then now this week, they're heels because they explained, hey, we still didn't get noticed. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or if Billy for a couple of weeks had been trying to get his his sons a tag team match but was unable to. Yeah. You know, then it would all make sense. But for me, again, it just it was just rough. Lastly, before we get out of here, at least for this week, uh, I saw a lot of people were bothered by the nonstop cursing on Dynamite this week. There were a lot of shits, a few effins and things like that. I did find it to be slightly overkill and a bit of a crutch, but it didn't exactly bother me in any way where I saw a lot of people were actually bothered by it. I was wondering if you even noticed it. And if you did, if you thought it was too much or just didn't really care. I definitely noticed it. I think it was just a bit too much in that it took away from every subsequent time you'd use it. Like I think they did a, I think they had a, what was it? Like piece of shit chant. Basically they had the crowd do at some point. I forgot who exactly set that up. Probably Jericho um, must've been. I, that's, I thought it was, I think it was Jericho too. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, it was just, um, it's, it's not something that's going to make me not watch. It's not something I'm like upset about. I just, right. I, I think it just kind of takes away from it when everybody's calling everybody a piece of shit. Yeah, and like there's an STFU chant, which again, that's that was organic from the crowd, so you can't control yes. that. No, that was um, yeah. But if you're doing that earlier, maybe then you say, hey, to, your, to yourself, and Jericho can improv, he's a, a pro. Hey, you know what? Maybe we don't do the piece of shit chant later. Again, I don't. I didn't find it off-putting in any way. I curse like a sailor no. uh, in, in my real life. Uh, outside, I mean, I curse a, a couple times on the show, but it was to me a little bit, you know, too much. Just as long as they don't do it every week, that's okay. Uh, yeah. Real quick, I'm going to read down the cards for Dynamite and Rampage uh, coming up this week because it is that big four hour queen show. I'm going to give some really quick predictions, Chris. Once I'm done, you tell me if there's any you disagree with. OK, uh, on Dynamite, we have Kenny Omega against Brian Danielson. I think Omega wins, even though it's a non-title match. I just feel like there's some way to kind of screw Danielson there. Uh, Britt Baker against Ruby Soho for the title. Britt Baker wins. Cody Rhodes against Malachi Black. I actually think Cody will win, but I'm going <laughs> to, if I had to bet, I'm going to say black because I'm praying that, that they don't have yeah. Cody win. Sting and Darby Allen against FTR. I'll say Sting and Darby Allen unless there's some interference. MJF against Pillman, MJF. Rampage, Punk against Hobbs, Punk. Adam Cole and the Young Bucks against Cage and Jurassic Express. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to say Cole and the Young Bucks. Uh, Chris Jericho and Hager against the men of the year, Jericho and Hager. Do you disagree with any of that? I think Hobbs can win. I, I, I'm curious how they're going to have CM Punk win if he does. I pick, I mean, I pick, I think I picked Punk to lose his first match, but I, I understand doing the win in Chicago. I'm curious about Hobbs and Punk. I, I that just that physical difference, the story they're going to try to tell for a guy who hasn't guys wrestled once in seven years. I'm curious. So I, I think there's a chance that Hobbs could do it. All righty. So that is it for NXT 2.0. Again, this is the last time we will ever call it that and AEW Rampage and Dynamite. I appreciate all you guys listening. Uh, We will be back next week with our WWE episode on Tuesday and our AEW and NXT episode on Thursday. Thanks again to Vintage Chris Vanini for joining me today. Remember, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So please... Drop those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Tell people how much you love the show. Share it with your friends. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thank you all for listening. I will now bid you adieu and leave you with three final words. Bye for now.